Okay, so we're going to be in 1 Thessalonians. We're going to be in chapter 1, and we're actually just going to read the whole thing since it's only 10 verses. Um, so this is, uh, this is God's word. Paul, Silvanus, and Timothy, to the church of the Thessalonians, in God the Father and the Lord Jesus Christ, grace to you and peace. We give thanks to God always for all of you, constantly mentioning you in our prayers, remembering before our God and Father your work of faith and labor of love and steadfastness of hope in our Lord Jesus Christ. For we know, brothers, loved by God, that he has chosen you because our gospel came to you not only in word but also in power and in the Holy Spirit with full conviction. And you know what kind of men we proved to be among you for your sake. And you became imitators of us and of the Lord. For you received the word in much affliction with the joy of the Holy Spirit. So that you became an example to all the believers in Macedonia and in Achaia. For not only has the word of the Lord sounded forth from you in Macedonia and Achaia, but your faith in God has gone forth everywhere so that we need not say anything. For they themselves report concerning us the kind of reception we had among you and how you turned to God from idols to serve the living and true God and to wait for his son from heaven, whom he raised from the dead, Jesus, who delivers us from the wrath to come. This is the word of the Lord. Let's pray. Father, we come before you and we are grateful that you have spoken, grateful that your Holy Spirit has given to us the Bible. You've given to us a, a self-revelation, Father. We thank you that you don't leave us in the dark to wonder who you are and what you're like and how you feel about us. But Father, in your word, you reveal your great love for us. And, and in the very fact that your son Jesus came and died for us, you reveal the depths, the height, the length, and the width of your love for us, Father. I pray, Lord, as we dig into this study that you would grip our hearts with the gospel. And we ask this in Jesus' name, amen. So we are starting a, uh, a brand new series um, called Tools of Change, called Tools of Change. And uh, the, the heart behind this series is basically what are the ordinary tools that God uses in the lives of Christians to transform them and to make them more and more like Jesus? What are, the, what are the ordinary tools? And so there's five of them that we're going to talk about throughout this series. The gospel, the Bible, prayer, the church, and the ordinances or the sacraments or the uh, you guys will probably know them as baptism and communion. So these are sometimes referred to as um, the means of grace. They are the gracious means whereby God encourages our hearts and, and uh, pushes us on towards Christ-likeness. 
And so uh, you'll see even in the design here, there are specific elements that I had just mentioned even within the design of the, the logo. And so specifically tonight, we are going to be talking about uh, the first one, which is the gospel. How does the gospel change us? What, how does the Lord use the gospel to transform us and make us more like Jesus? And we actually saw a pretty cool analogy or a pretty cool illustration of this in this, this section of scripture. Um, if you notice verse five, you see the apostle Paul when he says, because our gospel came to you not only in word, but also in power and in the Holy Spirit with full conviction, with full conviction. And so that's, that's actually the main theme uh, of tonight's message. So if you walk away with nothing else, this is what I want you guys to hear. And it's this, that being fully convinced of the gospel and bearing the fruit of the gospel are inseparable. So being fully convinced of the gospel and bearing the fruit of the gospel are inseparable. In other words, those two things will always go together. When you are fully convinced of the gospel, it will bear fruit in your lives. Speaking of uh, being fully convinced, as I was thinking about this idea of conviction and being fully convinced, I don't know why, but the, uh, the scene in Avengers Endgame popped into my mind where Captain America is facing off against Thanos, right? And he's willing to just get his butt kicked over and over again, right? And he gets up and he's like, he's like, I can do this all day, right? And the reason is, is because Captain America has this conviction that stopping Thanos, stopping this evil person is is important, right? It's, it's for the good of the whole world, right? And in a similar, and because, because uh, Captain America believes this, he acts in accordance with that belief to the point where he was willing to die in order to, uh, in order to save the world, right? Um, now, obviously, those of us who've seen the movie know that he doesn't die. All the people come back, and then it's a happy ending. Well, sort of happy Spoiler. ending. Sorry. <laughs> sort of happy ending, unless you like Iron Man. Spoiler alert. Um, I cried in that movie. <clears throat> but uh, <laughs> more than once, actually, it, it, almost every time I watch it. But that's beside the point. Um, and in a similar way, we see in this passage that the Thessalonians, when they heard the gospel, when they heard these, these wonderful four words, Christ died for you, it changed them forever. It changed how they lived. Now, if we, as we think about the context, so Paul, he, so we're talking about this idea that, that the Thessalonians were changed. Now, Paul is writing this letter to these, these Christians who had been changed by the gospel. And part of the reason that he's writing it is to actually encourage these believers because they were actually experiencing persecution. So Paul goes in and he, uh, you know, plants the church and then short, like literally right afterwards, Paul is kind of run out of, run out of town. And then we read in Acts, I believe it's Acts 17, 
where uh, the Jews, who were not a big fan of the Christians, right, not a big fan of this new group uh, rising up within, with, within or closely related to Judaism, um, they actually went to this guy Jason's house. I think it was Jason. And uh, they were trying to find Paul and Silas, right? But they couldn't find him. And so they drag this dude out and of some of his friends and they throw him in prison, right? So they throw him in prison and then they're like, you can't get out until you pay us money, right? And so Paul is writing to a church that is experiencing legitimate persecution. But even in the midst of persecution, we see these, these three fruits that are mentioned in this passage that, are, uh, that characterize their lives. And so as we're, as we're looking at these, these fruits, we have to ask ourselves, well, if the gospel changes us, what does, what does the fruit of being fully convinced of the gospel look like? Well, if you look with me at verse 3, it, at first it looks like good works. That's one of the things that you see as a, as a fruit of being fully convinced of the gospel. You see a life that is characterized by good works. Second, you see a life that is characterized by joy. A life that is characterized by joy. That's verse 6. And you see, finally, a life that is characterized by evangelism or sharing the gospel. And that's verse 8. And so... Let's dig into this a little bit more. Let's, uh, let's kind of dive in and, and we'll, we'll talk about these, these fruits of being fully convinced of the gospel. Look with me at verse 3. And it says, Remembering before our God and Father your work of faith and labor of love and steadfastness of hope in our Lord Jesus Christ. And so I already mentioned that Paul's been writing to these Christians in Thessalonica, and he's been making comments about their lives. And the first thing that he notes, actually, is that these Christians are marked by good works. But it's not just like, uh, it's not just like little good works. It's like the word uh, that's used here in Greek, uh, which is the word kopos, uh, in verse... Three, where it says your labor of love, it actually indicates strenuous activity. So it's not like they were just like, oh, I'll give you some candy or something like that. Like, like that's a good work. It's like, no, they were willing to work hard to bless other people. I think about the type of work that we're going to do on the missions trip when we go. We're going to be going and we're going to be picking up, you know, debris and we're going to be building houses and different things like that. It's hard work, but it is a strenuous labor of love, right? And Paul, he is mentioning here that this, this work of faith, this labor of love, and this, this steadfast hope, they all find their convergence point in the person of Jesus. In fact, in the, the way that the Greek is originally structured here, Basically, the, if you look at verse 3, the faith, love, and hope all are directed at the person of Jesus. So in other words, these Thessalonians, are, you're seeing the fruit of good works in their lives. And the reason that you're seeing that fruit is because they trust in Jesus with all of their mind, heart, soul, and strength because they love 
Jesus and because all of their hope is in Jesus. And when that is what characterizes a person, then that, the natural fruit of that is good works. I think about uh, doing the dishes as, uh, as, some, as an example of a work that I don't like doing, right? None of, how many of you guys actually enjoy doing the dishes? Anybody? Okay. All right, there's a couple of you. All right, well, God bless you. Um, <laughs> that's not me, right? And so I, I sit and I, and I do the dishes for two reasons. One, because I love my wife and I want, I want to sacrifice for her. And two, because as I do the dishes, I am reminded of this verse where... The Apostle Paul says to husbands, he says, love your wife as Christ loved the church and gave up his life for her, right? And so this idea of doing good works, this idea of, of showing love through service, it is, a direct, uh, it is directly related to our imitation of Jesus, Jesus, who said that the, even the Son of Man did not come to be served, but rather the Son of Man came to serve and to give his life as a ransom for many. That's Mark ten forty-five. And so for us, especially, you know, here in the West where service is not necessarily... It's, in our culture, it's not really something that's looked highly upon. In fact, it's like if you are uh, humble and, and not self-seeking and not proud, it's almost like people look at you like there's something wrong with you. But for us as Christians, Jesus says that if you, uh, he talks about the Gentile world in Mark 10, and he says that in the, the Gentile world, in the unbelieving world, people who are in positions of authority lord that authority over the people that are under them and kind of make them feel less than. And Jesus is like, that should not be among you. That's not how it should be among you. He actually says that if you want to be great, Fun fact, the reason that Jesus is having this conversation with them is because the disciples are arguing over who's the greatest. Just like the world out there, just like everybody else, they're arguing over who's the greatest. And Jesus says, if you really want to be a great, be the slave of everyone. If you really want to be great, if you really want to be first, be last. That's what true greatness looks like. And that is the fruit of of full conviction of the gospel. That is the fruit of full conviction of the gospel, a life of good works. So good works are the fruit of the gospel. And then the second fruit that we see in this passage is joy. Look with me at verse six. And he says, and you became imitators of us and of the Lord, that's Jesus, for you received the word in much affliction. We already talked about that at the beginning, much affliction, with the joy of the Holy Spirit. And so I mentioned already this, this affliction that uh, the Thessalonian church was going through. Um, hey, I did get it right. It was Jason. I was looking through my notes. Oh, nice. Uh, <laughs> um, and so... But what's interesting is if you look at this phrase, look at verse 6. For you received the word in much 
affliction. The word there is the gospel. You received the gospel in the midst of much affliction, but they still had joy. They still had joy. There was... There was a man named Eric Liddell. Have you guys ever heard of him before? So Eric Liddell was an Olympic athlete. Okay, he was famous. Uh, there's a movie that's actually based partially, like on his life, called Chariots of Fire. But the movie doesn't actually get into some of the most amazing elements of his story. Um, there's a story told by a woman named Marcy, who was a missionary. Um, and she actually wound up in a communist prison camp in the middle of World War II, along with Eric Little, or Liddell. And this is what she had to say about Eric. She said, Eric spoke with a charming Scottish accent, and more than anyone I had ever known, typified the joyful Christian life. He had a marvelous sense of humor and was full of laughter and practical jokes but always in good taste. Eric Liddell is a, a wonderful example of someone who, in the midst of affliction, had received the gospel, had, had received it with full conviction, truly believed, truly believed it. His, all of his hope was in Jesus. He loved Jesus wholeheartedly, and all of his trust was in Jesus. And the result of that was a life of joy. What this lady doesn't tell you is that while he was in that prison camp, he sort of acted as the, the youth pastor for the kids that were in this, this prison camp. And not only that, in order to make sure that these kids were fed, he would actually give away his food. And I've never been in a prison camp, but I, I know from movies and from what I've read about history, food is very scarce there. But not only that, while he's, he's displaying this life of joy, sacrificially giving his food and, and, in, and taking care of these kids, he was in the midst of dying of a brain tumor. And Eric Liddell died in a prison camp of a brain tumor. But he is a hero to, to those of us who, who see the, the gospel at work. He is... He is uh, a shining example of what we, of what the gospel can do when it comes into a, a heart with full conviction. And so as we think about this idea of, of being fully convinced of the gospel, I got to ask myself and I got to ask you guys, does joy characterize your life? Or are you grumpy most of the time? And when I ask that, I freely admit that I am grumpy a lot of times more often than I should be. And that's because in those moments when I lose my temper, in those moments when I, when I get frustrated, I am forgetting the gospel. I am not remembering that all of my sins have been forgiven through the blood of Christ. I am not remembering, as we spoke about this morning in Sunday service, that I have been adopted by the, by the King that I have been brought into the family of God, that I have been loved with a love that is unending and impossible for me to fully comprehend. And yet, oftentimes I forget that. 
and I get frustrated. I don't have joy. But as you guys, as you think about all that you've been given in Christ, all that Jesus has, has offered to us, it brings joy to our hearts. The fact that Jesus has reconciled us to God, has, has brought us into the family, as it were. So I ask you again, are you joyful? And if not, you should ask yourself why. And if you need a, a list of reasons to be joyful, I would suggest that you read Ephesians 1 because it's a wonderful passage that lists all of the blessings that we have in Jesus. And so we see good works is the first fruit of a life that is fully convinced of the gospel. We see that joy is the second fruit of a life that is fully convinced of the gospel. And the last one that we see in this passage is that of evangelism or sharing the gospel. Look with me at verse 8. And he says, and you, nope, that's verse 6. I'm going to scroll down here. All right. For not only has the word of the Lord sounded forth from you in Macedonia and Achaia, but your faith in God has gone forth everywhere so that we need not say anything. So Paul says that these Christians, they had not only shared their faith in their, you know, in, in their families and, and in their city, but the news of their faith in Jesus had spread beyond their city into other cities. People were hearing about these Thessalonians who had faith in Jesus, who were, who were known for their labors of love, who were known for inconveniencing themselves to, to bless other people, who were known for their joy. These people were also known for sharing the gospel. In fact, that, that phrase, uh, sound forth, is the Greek word exekeo, and it's actually where we get our English word echo from. And it's in what is called the perfect tense, which means that it wasn't like they just shared the gospel one time. It means it was ongoing over and over and over and over and over and over. They were a one, what do they call it, a one-string banjo? You only got one, <laughs> you only got one note you're playing. You're just you're playing that same one over and over and over again. I think about, uh, when I was thinking about this idea of continuing over and over again, I was, I was reminded of that movie, uh, The Princess Bride. Have you guys ever seen that? Yeah, so I was reminded of the Princess Bride and, and at the very end where Inigo Montoya, he finally finds the man who killed his father and he says one thing over and over again. Hello, my name is Inigo Montoya. You killed my father. Prepare to die. <laughs> and the guys, he's fighting him. You know, he's like, stop saying that. And he keeps saying it over and over and over. And that's... And that's what it should be like for us as Christians. We should be people who are so gripped by the gospel, so amazed by grace, that the song that rises up out of our hearts is the gospel. Christ died for me. And so as we, we look at this example of the Thessalonians, we gotta ask ourselves, I would encourage you to ask yourself, what is it 
that you communicate most? What do you talk about the most to your friends, to your family, to your non-believing friends? What is it that consumes your conversation? Is it sports? Is it Star Wars? Guilty. Um, is it... Uh, is it boys? Is it girls? Is it, you know, there's all these different things that we get so focused on that, that uh, dominate what comes out of our mouth. But God, the God of the universe has redeemed us. The God of the universe has reached down into history in the person and work of Christ, has died for our sins, has risen from the grave Nobody else has done that, fun fact, has risen from the grave, has ascended to the throne of the universe, and now rules and reigns over all things, and he tells you, go and get the nations and bring them to me. That is amazing. And yet we spend time talking, more time thinking and talking about the Seahawks as a culture here than we do about our Lord and his gospel. So my question for us is what, what do you spend most of your time talking about? Do you share the gospel? Is evangelism something that marks your speech? Is it a fruit of your full conviction of the gospel? So I would encourage you, maybe tonight, as you are just reflecting on today, think about what did you spend the majority of your time talking about? What did you talk to other people about? And maybe try and make a conscious effort to incorporate the gospel in some of the conversations that you have this week. And I'll close with this. Charles Spurgeon once said that the sum total of all of his theology was four words. Christ died for me. The sum total of all of his theology encapsulated in four words, Christ died for me. I have a tattoo on my arm. I've got a few, actually. Um, but uh, it says, it is no longer I who live, but Christ who lives in me. And the rest of that verse, as Galatians 2.20, the rest of that verse is, and the life that I now live, I live by faith in the Son of God who loved me and gave himself for me. McKenna, the Son of God loves you and gave his life for you. Joel, the Son of God loves you and gave his life for you. I pray that as you think about that, that it will produce fruit in your lives. Let's, uh, let's pray before I cry, and then we'll go into our small groups.